Hey, welcome home to Cassidy. My name is Stephen Mitchell, and it is a great joy to be here with you, to be able to celebrate what God is continuing to do in and through us, God's church, that we get to continue playing a part, a role in what God has in mind for the kingdom, what God has in mind for the world, and what God is calling us into in this moment. And so I am excited that you have chosen to join us. If you're new here, a special welcome to you whether you're in person or online. We're just excited to have you with us, uh, taking a moment, uh, a bit of time to celebrate this God who has given so much to us and who richly deserves our response and our love and our, our adoration because of all of the grace that he has poured out before us. So if you are new here, we're excited that you're with us. We are excited because we know that God is doing something special. And we want to invite you to join us on a journey, a journey to be more like Jesus, a journey to recognize that we're not perfect, but we know the one who is, and that's Jesus. And we want to live and love and be more like him. And so we want to invite you to that. And it doesn't matter what age you are, whether you're old or young or whatever, you're invited on this journey. And that's one of the reasons why we've been taking some time to celebrate and, and partner with our Vacation Bible School. Uh, for those of you outside the church that don't know, Vacation Bible School is uh, simply a time when students or children from all over the community are going to come to Cassidy actually starting next Monday uh, and learn about some of the stories of the Bible. And we're talking about this through the lens of farm life, which is why we also are talking about farm life. For us, we're taking it in a little bit different different direction than they are, but the stories are going to be the same stories. And we've looked at the story of Noah. We've looked at uh, several stories so far, but today we're going to look at one maybe you haven't heard about, or maybe you haven't heard about in a while. But before we jump into that, I wanted to ask you, have you ever been certain you were right only to find out that you are wrong. Uh, Have you ever been certain that you are right only to find out that you were misguided or misunderstood the situation or or something else was going wrong? I remember uh, when my son was very young, uh, he decided he knew where rain was coming from. And so he explained to me that it just had to be a really big person that was splashing in puddles, and that's where rain came from. I tried to explain to him uh, the water cycle, and he wasn't having any of it. He was like, no, it's just a really big person splashing in puddles, and that's where rain <laughs> comes from. Or uh, one time, Savannah, was, was we were walking through a park that was near our house, and she decided she knew the way and took off running in the complete wrong direction, going to some place. <laughs> it took me a while to catch up to her and be like, hey, that's the wrong way. But she wasn't having any of it. She thought she knew how to get there. Uh, recently for me, I discovered that I'd been making tacos wrong my whole life. I thought wrongly, apparently, that you were supposed to make tacos with like hamburger meat. But instead, I have found out that uh, tacos should be made with 
Turkey. Who knew? <laughs> Certainly, I didn't know. Maybe, maybe that's not 100% right. Anyway, uh, we get it in our heads. We get it in our heads that we're right, regardless of the situation or the scenario. Uh, I, my family, uh, I've discovered this recently because I never noticed it, but my family, when we are telling a story, we're, we're explaining something that has happened uh, to one another or to somebody new to the story, uh, we, we, uh, we give contradictions to it. So, for example, oh, uncle so-and-so did such and such. Oh, no, that wasn't uncle so-and-so. That was uh, cousin so-and-so. You know, and we, we correct each other immediately uh, because we want to make sure that we have the, the correctness of this. But what it really does is it detracts from the story because everybody's just putting in their two cents. I mean, what you could do is just let it go and then at the end offer corrections. Uh, the interesting thing is those corrections spawn arguments and, uh, and, and discussion that, no, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. And we can get angry and upset by that. And, and it can be hard, especially, especially if we're looking at something that is like a long-held belief, something we were taught when we were little kids or something that we learned from our parents when we were young that, that really isn't correct. And, and it can be hard for us to let go of that. And truly, the problem isn't being wrong because we've all been wrong a time or two, probably more than that in our lives. The problem isn't being wrong. The problem is the anger that is generated from us being wrong. Our pride gets in the way and we get angry because we're not right. Or, or even worse, we want to be right at any cost. It doesn't matter if we're really right. It just matters that we want to win the argument because we are angry at the situation and it makes us so frustrated. And so we, we then push and, and try and find at any cost the way to get our point across. And what I've noticed, and maybe you have too, is that this prevents us from loving our neighbor. When, when our righteous indignation, when our anger is up, our, our focus isn't on loving our neighbor. Our focus is on loving ourselves or proving ourselves right. And, and the truth is we have all struggled with this. Each and every one of us have struggled with this, with a response of anger when we didn't understand the situation, or even when we were right and, and we wanted to get our point across more so than, than even taking into consideration the feelings or emotions or reality of what somebody else has gone through. And we're going to look at a story today, uh, like I said, that you may not have heard of. It's a story about a guy named Balaam. Balaam is actually, he lives in the time after the Israelites have been set free from slavery in Egypt, and they are going into the, con uh, to the promised land and conquering city after city after city. And Balaam serves, uh, he's actually a sorcerer. Uh, that's what, what he is called. Uh, his job, his job description in the book of Numbers, where we get this story, uh, is, is uh, to bless or curse 
whoever the king calls him to bless or curse. And the king's name is Balak. And Balak has seen the Israelites. Uh, he's seen what they've done. They've come in and, and defeated city after city after city. And, and, and it's because God is blessing them that they have been able to do this. But Balak doesn't want the Israelites to come and, and take over his city. So he decides, hey, I'm going to reach out to this guy, Balaam. And I'm going to tell Balaam, hey, why don't you come to my kingdom, come to me and curse these Israelites. Uh, And normally Balaam would be like, yeah, no problem. No problem. I'll I'll come out and do that. But in this scenario, Balaam has uh, insight from God. God has spoken to him and said, do not curse my people. And so, so Balaam's like, well, I don't think I'm going to do that. And so he writes back to the king or sends messenger back to the king. And the king then gets upset and sends more messengers with this message. I'm rich though. And I will give you money if you come out here and curse these guys. Uh, I don't care what, you know, what God has said, what, if you curse them, I know it's going to stick. And I know if you bless them, it will stick. So please come out and curse them. And, and I will give you lots and lots of money. Now, he still responds no, because he says, I can't go against what God has said. But God then says, you should go ahead and go with these men to this kingdom, to this king, and and then I will give you the information to say. Now, somewhere on the journey, Balaam, Balaam goes astray. It says this in Numbers 22, Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey and went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went and the angel of the Lord stood in the road and opposed him. Balaam was riding on his donkey and two servants were with him. Now, you know, that can be confusing. God said, go ahead and go with him. And then it says, God got angry with him. Uh, The reality is not that God was angry that he was going, but something on the journey. Uh, Balaam does something on that journey. Maybe, maybe he's starting to think about all of that money. Maybe he's starting to question whether or not God really told him not to. Maybe that money is starting to weigh heavily on his mind. And and so something in the trip uh, has set God against his purpose. And, And so God sends an angel to oppose him. What's interesting is this term in the Hebrew is actually an adversary, Hasatan. We, we get the word Satan, the name Satan from it, uh, but it's an angel of God who is coming to oppose or to be the adversary for Balaam and prevent him from doing what it is that he is planning to do. And so this scenario unfolds that Balaam has gotten on his donkey and is riding toward King Balak. And now an angel stands in the road. And it says this, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it, the donkey, turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. So, so the donkey sees the angel and the donkey decides this is a problem. I will not 
go toward the angel. And so the donkey veers off of the road and Balaam can't see the angel. And Balaam takes out his frustration, his anger on the donkey, that the donkey isn't doing what the donkey is supposed to do. Again, he believes in this moment that he is in the right and that the donkey should just be doing what the donkey should do, which is going in the direction that Balaam wants it to go. And yet there's something, an obstacle that Balaam can't see that God himself has put in his way. It continues, then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards with a wall on both sides. So the angel moves a little bit further down the road and is standing uh, on a narrow path where there's two walls on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed so close to the wall so close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again. <laughs> poor, poor donkey. The donkey's just trying not to, not to uh, run into the angel and have a bad scenario for Balaam. Uh, and Balaam can't understand the situation. And once again, he beats the donkey because the donkey is not doing what Balaam wants the donkey to do, what he believes the donkey should be doing. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down, it lay down under Balaam and he was angry and beat it with his staff. <laughs> I, I, I really feel sorry for this donkey. I mean, Balaam grabs the staff and he's going to, you get what you deserve. You know, he's letting this donkey have it. Here's the picture. This is the first, first registered story of road rage ever. It just happened with a donkey in the middle of, of uh, this, this place that, that, the, that he's on his way to the king. And, and instead of in a car, he's riding a donkey and the donkey continually veers off course, crushes his foot, and then lays down underneath them. And Balaam decides he's going to let the donkey have it. You are a dumb animal. I am going to give you what you deserve because you should be doing what I want you to. And then God does something. And this is where the story gets crazy, y'all. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and it said to Balaam, what have I done to make you beat me these three times? And I love this. Not skipping a beat, Balaam answers the donkey, you have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. He is so angry. I believe he can't even fathom. He doesn't like his anger is overwhelming him to the point that he doesn't recognize that he is talking to a donkey, that, that the donkey said words to him. He, he just can't even figure it out. He's like, I am so mad at you. You have made a fool of me. And if, if I had a sword, I would kill you. Like I said, first example of road rage, he's just out of control. He is so upset at this scenario. And, and the problem is he just doesn't understand what's going on. And, and his anger has gotten the best of him. The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Balaam responds, no. And I wonder, I really do. I wonder if it's at this moment, if it's in this scenario that Balaam is like, huh, 
I'm, I'm talking to a dog. Maybe it starts sinking in. I'm, I'm having a conversation with a donkey. Maybe something else is going on here because normally I don't talk to my donkey and have it respond. Maybe I'll yell at my donkey or, or converse with my donkey, but it's really me just talking to myself. But in this scenario, this thing is getting really weird. And maybe it's in this moment that Balaam starts to understand that, that the light starts to dawn, that a new understanding or a new focus is allowed. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he sees the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low face down. He responds in in bowing low because he knows now that something else is going on. The angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not, if it had not turned away, I would have certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared it. So the donkey wasn't sparing himself. The donkey was was sparing Balaam. And, And the thing is, Balaam thought he had the whole picture. He thought he had everything figured out. He understood that the donkey was just not doing what the donkey should do, that that he was right until he wasn't. He was right until he recognized he wasn't. And I think I think all righteous indignation ends like this. Maybe not with us talking to uh, us, speaking to a donkey or talking uh, and conversing with a a talking donkey, but maybe us acting like we're talking donkeys. I don't know. Uh, The problem is anger is tricky. Anger is tricky because anger presupposes we're right that we know what's going on better than anybody else, that we understand the situation, that we have a better insight. And, and, and it blows by any consequences that we're going to experience. Th- this truly is what I see when I, I see videos of, of people experiencing road rage. Their anger overwhelms them. I talked about the donkey being the first example, but we have a serious problem in the world right now where we, we experience somebody doing something and we want to respond in anger. It's not just being angry. We're enraged by the situation. And, and we, we, we don't care what it's going to cost. You, you watch people brake checking 18-wheelers like they could stop in time to not smash into your car. But I don't care about the consequences because I am so mad and I am right. And sometimes, sometimes that gets the best of us. And every time our anger prevents us from loving our neighbor. Our anger is one of the things that prevents us from doing the very thing that Jesus calls us to do. Jesus says, hey, I've come here to give my life for you so that you would follow me and love your neighbor as yourself. The, the, two, the two things that Jesus said distills all of the commandments, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And if we allow ourselves to be overwhelmed by anger, then we steal away the ability that we have to love others where they are. And one of the things that we never want 
to have happen is for our indignation, our anger, our righteous perspective of ourselves to cause harm to another. And the truth is, sometimes the roadblocks are sent by God so that it would change our focus, so that we can recognize that we're not where we should be, that we're not doing what we should be doing, that we're not experiencing and sharing love and grace the way that we should be experiencing love and grace. Friends, this, we have a, 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 a necessity in our lives right now to shift our focus back to God, not on being angry, not on being right, but instead on being righteous on following God and allowing God to do a work in us. So the question we have, and and it's for all of us, is how can you respond? How can I respond? And the first, I I I think for us, we can respond with three questions. When we find ourselves starting to get angry. When we find ourselves in the midst of anger, now it's going to take a moment, right? Because when we get mad, we get our, our, our dander up, we get our hackles up, whatever it is, and we're on the aggressive side instead of taking a moment and thinking through. So questions are ways that I use to get past this. Maybe it's ways that we can use to get past this too. What if God is behind this? What if you took a moment when you get angry and you ask that question, what if God is behind this? Uh, and, and maybe God is, it's, it's the farthest thing from God being there because it's somebody that's in opposition of God and you get that, but thinking, starting there and saying, what if God is behind this? What if I need to shift my perspective? What if I need to look at this from a different way? What if this offers an opportunity to do something different? And, and the second is similar to this. How can I honor God with my response to this situation? <laughs> I, I, I don't know about you, but if, if I was able to do this every time, I would be a much better person. I, I would be a much better person to be around. If I got angry at somebody and my, my first response was, how can I honor God with this response? It would take a lot of the wind out of the sails of anger that I have. Because then I would be thinking not about myself, my pride, my anger, everything that's going on in my, in my life at that moment, but instead I would be looking at how I can honor God. So it shifts my focus from me to God. And what does my response look like? I, I just, I, I see this as the same thing that Jesus went through when he was at the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that they were going to come and arrest him and take him and give a mockery of a trial, crucify him and kill him. He says, not my will be done, but your will be done. How can I honor God in that way in every situation that I find myself in, in anger or outside of anger? How can I honor God with my response? And the last one ties right into that. How can I share grace in this situation? Jesus came into the world to live, die, and be raised from the dead so that we can have life, so that we can be forgiven, so that we can receive grace, so that we can share 
that grace with others. And if our default is to get justice or be right, then we're missing the point. We're missing our ability to share grace and love with somebody just like Jesus did first with us. And and the difficulty is it's so hard to do. It's so hard to do. This is one of the reasons why I I have taken a practice. Uh, One of the things that I do, if I get an email or if I see something on Facebook where somebody is is, uh, out of line or causes me to get angry, I force myself to take a step back. Say, hey, I'm not going to engage. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to see if maybe a little bit of time Maybe a little bit of space will give me a little bit of perspective and offer me a way to respond that isn't going to be like that. And typically, if I really get upset and you've sent me an email or a personal message or something like that, and it upsets me, I try to figure out, well, first, is this just the straw that's broken the camel's back? Is it really just something that is me and not them? Uh, And second, maybe I'm just misunderstanding the situation. Maybe I'm not understanding it the way that it should be. And so I try and meet with them face to face or have a conversation. And and the truth is we honor God when we do those types of things, when we take those moments, when we try to better understand the situation or when we honor God, even when the situation isn't ideal. And and so I just want to challenge us, challenge us with this. What would it look like? What would it look like in your life if when you ran into a situation where you became angry or indignant or you knew you were right and that caused you to be angry, what would it look like if you tried to honor God in that situation? What would it look like in your family, in your marriage, if your spouse made you angry and instead of going for the the thing that would hurt him or her back Instead of that, you decide you're going to honor God with your response. What would it look like with your family, with your kids, or with your parents if you decided you were going to honor God instead of uh, react in anger? What would it look like in our communities? What would it look like in our nation, in our world, if God's church took this seriously? If we said we're going to honor God instead of honor our own self-indignation or righteous indignation, if we were going to honor God by offering to God that moment and saying, God, how can I, how can I be more like Jesus in this? My, my guess is that your family, that your community, that your world, that our world would look drastically different that would look drastically different because we would be responding differently in the face of anger. Let's pray. Holy One, it's hard. It is hard because we get angry and we get upset. And we seem to, in this moment in time, wear our emotions on our shoulders and and we're just waiting for somebody to say or do something. And so God, I just pray that you would pour your spirit out upon us, to give us a moment, a holy breath, so that we can take a step back 
and away from the edge of anger and instead find a way to recognize you in that moment, to honor you in that moment, to share grace in that moment. Help us to know that you are with us always and that you have come so that we might have life and help us to embrace that life and to live into that life and not give in to the brokenness of this world and to respond in the way that the world expects us to. But instead, God, help us to honor you in our response to, to being angry, to being confused, to having uh, our, our world turned upside down. God, we just pray this in the name of Jesus. And all of us agreed and said, amen.